This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Yes, welcome everybody! I am your host, Elon Dubrowski, here with another installment of the 31 Beat series. And with me to bring it to you is my co-host, the fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Calm. Elon, it is an honor and a privilege to be here with you for another installment of our 31 Beat series. It's also an honor and a privilege to see you do the yes live. I, I don't know if we still have some old YouTube videos up of episodes where people could see you when we used to post the video to YouTube. Uh, anyway, I'm happy to be here. This is, a, what, installment four yep. in our 31 Beat series where we're going all around the league to talk to the people who know the team's best, their beat writers, to find out uh, what we need to know in the offseason and going into next year's draft about each team and every player on the roster that's fantasy relevant. Yeah, and this talk was really fun we just got off the phone or the phone whatever the zoom with Richard Morin uh to talk about the Arizona Coyotes and it was a really fun chat I think you all are really gonna like it Richard is clearly very passionate uh before we get to that let us just quickly mention that we are presented by dauberhockey.com the number one fantasy hockey website out there so proud to be able to say that every single episode so check it out for all the articles about fantasy hockey it's the place to go to get all the content you need to be up to speed with anything that could be relevant to you as you prepare for your either continuing current fantasy season, hopefully, or at least next season at the very latest. And if you want more of us, of this 31 Beat series we're doing, it's just not enough keeping Carlson for you. You can become a patron and get some extra stuff, get access to our patron cast, which by the time you hear this might have already happened. Uh, it's a monthly bonus episode. You can also get into our Facebook group and just stay on top of all the extra fun stuff we're doing aside from the episodes that we give to you for free every well now it's like twice a week so patreon.com slash keeping carlson or keeping carlson.com slash patron it's just a dollar a month in the off season which is extra long this year so that's really exciting uh, for you to join us again patreon.com slash keeping carlson just a buck a month for all these extra perks to and you support us you let us know you care Right. Yes. And we care about you. We hope everyone's doing well as we're making our way through this global pandemic. And hopefully you'll enjoy this fourth installment of the 31 Beat series. So without further ado, let's go to our interview with Richard Morton. <laughs> Is that the, don't, do, don't use that. 
Okay, with us now is Richard Morin to talk about the Arizona Coyotes. Of course, if you're not familiar with Richard's work, he's the beat guy for the Coyotes with AZ Central. It's actually very fitting that he's with us because we just talked about Boston. He's a Boston Globe alumnus. So very happy to have Richard on the show to tell us everything that we don't quite totally understand about the Arizona Coyotes season recently. First off, Richard, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks, guys, for having me. It's still uh, it's still sunny outside in Arizona. I know we got a little nighttime recording session uh, with you guys uh, in Canada, but yeah, still sunny and 100 degrees outside here in Phoenix. So just trying to stay inside. Got the AC cranking. So good to be Where here. Sorry, is that uh, is that Celsius or Fahrenheit? There, 100 <laughs> sounds hot. <laughs> it's hot. It's hot. It's our first. It's actually our first 100 degree day of the year here today on April 26th. So. Well, it was cloudy and nine degrees Celsius in Ottawa all day. So we didn't see the sun, regardless of daytime or nighttime. Oh so way to brag. I will not try to hold it against you. I can't even say that our hockey team is better here because the Arizona Coyotes had a reasonably successful season. I mean, anyone did compared to the Senators, but let's focus That's on true. the Coyotes, who <laughs> after missing the playoffs for seven straight seasons, uh, missed it again, or were on track to miss the playoffs again as they right. set four points out of the final wild card spot with a dozen games to go. Of course, there was room for them to catch up, but this was a story of like two half seasons for the Coyotes because if you look back at the standings in mid-December, they were 19, 12, and four leading the Pacific Division. And then that wasn't good enough for them. So they went out and got Taylor Hall in a trade and then uh, 14, 16, and four from that point forward. Now, there are a few trends under those win-loss totals that we noticed since Taylor Hall was acquired. And I sort of want, I'm going to go through them. And then I want you to tell us which of them were Taylor Hall's fault. So the first trend. None of them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's there's the quick answer. But well, we saw the Coyotes offense seem to improve. uh, And then we saw their defense, like they've been a top defensive team under Rick Tockett, seemed to, and Dave Tippett for that matter, seemed to slip defensively. They're allowing more shots against, more expected goals against. And uh, the Coyotes goaltending, uh, probably connected to that last point, also tumbled from a 927 team save percentage to a 912 team save percentage, letting in about seven tenths more of a goal per game. So what happened for things to go downhill the way they did? Yeah, I think it's taken us a, it's, I mean, it's a good thing we're all kind of uh, in quarantine now because it's given us plenty of time to dissect what went wrong with the Coyote season. Now, we all knew, and it was pretty much consensus among the media here that uh, this team had to be a playoff team this year. With all the moves they made in the offseason, you know, you, you go out and you get Phil Kessel and uh, you go out and, and, and you get Taylor Hall midseason, you have, you know, two stud goaltenders, um, you know, you, you lock up uh, Clayton Keller, your, um, you know, who you're hoping is your future young star to a huge deal. Uh, you have other key pieces like Jacob Chickren and Christian Dvorak under long-term contracts. I mean, this is the year you had to take a step forward in a year. You had to send a message to your fans, to your players, to your, uh, you know, your business partners, right? All across the board and to your new owner too, by the way. You need to send everybody a message that it's time for the Coyotes to win and that we're legit. And uh, they were doing pretty good. They occupied first place in the Pacific Division as recently as January 15th, if memory serves. Um, And then all of a sudden, it all went down the drain. And a lot of players underperforming. A key injury to Darcy Kemper, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more later on. And kind of uh, it was a struggle for the Coyotes to, I guess, kind of replicate that performance. Um, Another injury, you know, your your starting goaltender gets – if if both – 
parts of your tandem go down, you're not going to win many games. You're not going to stop many pucks. Yeah. I actually think they performed better um, than many people would have thought, given the fact that their two goaltenders were, were gone. They had their third stringer up and actually played decently well for a third string. I think a lot of people would love to have Aiden Hill as a third string goaltender, but um, I digress. I, th- I think at the end of the day, this was a team that vastly underperformed uh, offensively. I mean, you could go down the list of pretty much everybody underperformed offensively with maybe the exception of Taylor Hall. And I even think he would tell you, and he has told me he feels that he did underperform when he was with the Coyotes, despite, you know, being very close to a point per game player, but a lot of, yeah. So I, I would say, at the end of the day, a lot of offensive underperforming and then a lot of veterans who just quite frankly didn't get it done and made too many mistakes and um, some tough injuries too that, that made it tough and a, and a tough schedule too. Yeah, so definitely we'll be interested to dig into some of these players and figure out was it underperforming or if this is like what we should expect for the player because they're on the Arizona Coyotes. Maybe one more like big picture question. You know, like when Phil Kessel, for example, went to Arizona, we were worried, like this is a fantasy hockey podcast, by the way. So we were like looking into the player stats and whatever. And like sure, you know, yeah. some, someone like Phil Kessel, you know, who was getting like 80 plus points for the Penguins, like, oh, he's going to Arizona. That's a team where like no one gets a lot of points. Is it a situation where the Coyotes are just a team where like they just don't care as much about offense. Like the way they win games is, you know, strong defense, good goaltending and keeping the games low scoring. Or or do you think, is it possible that this is something that we could expect to change sometime? Or is the team philosophy like really just set on low scoring games? I I think, I think they care about offense. I just don't think they are getting much of it. They just don't have much of it. Um, And that was really the key. Well, going into this past off season, that was really the key you had a team that played very well defensively, a breakout season, or really a breakout few months for Darcy Kemper when he came over from uh, uh, via trade. And you're looking at a team with great defense, with great goaltending moving forward, and you're saying, wow, we got some young players here too. Like if we add a couple of or you know, one or two big offensive pieces, we got a playoff team here. And that was really what yeah. we were all thinking. And you bring in Phil Kessin, you say, hey, maybe that's the guy. You know, obviously you have the Rick Tockett connection. You know, maybe he can spark something. Uh, they can spark something in each other. Um, and then, you know, again, it was a struggle for Phil and it was a struggle for the offense to get going. And you say, okay, this wasn't enough. Let's go and get Taylor Hall. And Taylor Hall comes in and plays well. But then you have other guys just nosedive uh, at the same time. And it's like, okay, what happened? You know, you guys, I, I think they, they value offense a lot. I know for a fact that they do. They're just, they're just not getting a whole lot of it. You know, they're, you know, I, I don't think Rick Tockett is a defensive minded guy. I think he kind of gets put in that corner. Like you look at a team that, you know, has good results, but doesn't have a lot of, doesn't have a lot of offense. And you just kind of assume they're a defensive team. That's not really it. I mean, I think this is a team right now that's built around its goaltending. Um, but I don't necessarily think they were, they knew they were going to build that way. I think, you know, you knew that Antiranta was a great goaltender when he was healthy. You bring in Darcy Kemper, he plays really well. And you say, all of a sudden, Hey, this is our strength. We've got to build around this now. It just kind of just kind of happened that way. I don't really think it was by design. They didn't acquire Darcy Kemper thinking he was going to be a Vezina candidate. Right. <laughs> they thought he could be a great, you know, uh, one-two with with Antiranta, but they definitely did not see this coming. Um, so I think I think by that stretch of the imagination, you're looking at a team that has, you know is great in goal prevention, and now you're looking for more offense. And you went out and got it, but it didn't amount to much. I think that's a really interesting frame that I I'll be honest, like it's so obvious now that you mentioned it, but to say that Rick Tockett isn't necessarily a defensive coach, he's just dealing with the tools. He's, he's getting the most of the tool out of the tools that are available to him. And we did see Arizona seem to try and shift to being, you know, adding those offensive tools and Kessel and hall and it just not quite working out. Although like hall did make the team more offensive. It was at the cost of defense. It seemed, Uh, but let's actually ask you about Taylor Hall and whether this 
is going to sustain the way that the Coyotes, you know, want to build their team and want to add offense because they need that scoring. Uh, what do you think the Coyotes' plan right now is for Taylor Hall? Are they interested in signing him to a long-term contract to stay in Arizona rather than hit free agency? And if he, and if they are, uh, is the feeling mutual? Like, how, where's Taylor Hall at? Yeah, absolutely. So I can I can give you a lot of insight on this. So the Coyotes are extremely interested in Taylor Hall. Uh, and his agent, uh, Darren Ferris, are also extremely interested. And I would say, I mean, if you were going to ask me to, like, put odds on it, I would say it's probably like a 40% maybe right now, 35 40% that Taylor Hall resigns. And, of course, you know, the Coyotes have extra bargaining chips they can offer that extra year. I mean, you guys know how the UFA market works. But, right. um, you know, I, I do think there's interest. I think Taylor really enjoyed his time here. Um, a lot of athletes who come here, they, uh, they, they fall in love with the weather and, and the decor, you know, of course the, the winter months, not the summer months, but you know, that's hockey season for you. So, um, you know, I think, I think they all enjoyed it. I think Taylor enjoyed it. I think, uh, he enjoyed the organization, you know, the strength and conditioning staff and the coaching staff and, you know, kind of all of that. Um, I think it was big for him. The Coyotes are extremely interested as well. Um, but a guy like Taylor Hall really believe it or not is not their biggest need. Coyote's biggest need is a number one center. And look, those guys are few and far between. There are many of them, uh, you know, and, uh, you guys, you got our boy up in Toronto, Austin Matthews. He's, he's the exact player. I mean, he's, he's the Coyote's biggest need hundred percent, a goal scoring elite centerman. Now I'm not saying that go out and get one of those guys because you can't, I mean, they're not, there's really not many of them, but that's what they need. That's this team is they've built, themselves a nice depth at the center position because they know they don't have one of those guys. So you go out and you get Nick Schmaltz and you know, you've got a veteran guy like Derek Stepan. You have Barrett Hayton coming up the pipeline, a really good, you know, second or third line center, I think, in Christian Dvorak. So you got guys there, but there's no elite guy there. That's what they really need. Um, and Taylor Hall fits with this team because while he's not a centerman, he still drives play from the wing position. Not a whole lot of wings can, can do that. Uh, he's an elite uh, zone entry player. And you guys have seen Taylor Hall play a lot. I mean, he, he can enter the zone just as good as about anybody in the league. There aren't many wingers who can do that. Like he can, and he can, who can pass and distribute the puck like he can. Uh, so he almost, he has a lot of tri- uh, attributes that you would look at in the elite center, but he just does it from the wing position. Um, but of course, again, it's all about positioning on the ice and he's not doing some other things for you on the ice that maybe you'd like an elite centerman to do. So, um, you know, I think Taylor enjoyed his time here. I think he feels like he, he played okay. I think he definitely feels like he could have played better. Um, like I said, I think a lot of guys took a nosedive offensively when, when Taylor showed up for whatever reason. Um, but I think I'll just kind of close out that question by saying, yeah, I think there's a ton of mutual interest. Um, I know uh, Coyote's general manager and uh, president of hockey operations, John Chaika, has had a lot of conversations with Taylor Hall's agent, Darren Ferris, um, about, you know, uh, uh, a possible, you know, UFA pact. It was kind of pre-written in the deal that they didn't want to do a contract extension. That was a known thing. Uh, when Chica uh, did the deal with Ray Shiro in New Jersey, they knew that uh, Darren and Taylor did not want to do a contract extension. That had nothing to do with the Coyotes. They just, they wanted to hit the open market. Mm-hmm. You know, Taylor had earned that right as a player. And that's where they wanted to go with it. And And obviously John and the Coyotes were okay with that as well. They wanted to I think showcase their city. They said, Hey, well, you know, we want Taylor Hall. The best way to sell him on Arizona is to actually put him in Arizona for a few months, see how he likes it, how he likes the team, how he likes the guys, how he likes the lifestyle. And that's, that's how you give yourself the best chance um, at signing him uh, to a UFA deal. And of course, having that extra year helps a little bit too. 
Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting, actually, another thing you bring up is like, because Hall did well, he had 27 points in 35 games as a Coyote, maybe not the like point per game plus like he was doing over in New Jersey. But you bring up a good point that, yeah, he had Christian Dvorak as his centerman. And usually like a star player is going to have better that, like, you know, Christian Dvorak seems like a really good player, like good defensively. But yeah, he's not like a star elite top centerman. Like, it seems like like what you say is obviously true because they went after a centerman in that 2018 draft. You brought up Barrett Hayton and a lot of people, you know, were surprised. I recall when he was picked, people thought, Oh, they thought Philip Zadina maybe would have gone there, but I was surprised. Yeah. Well, so yeah, I'm curious, like what, what's the vibe now with this pick? Like he played a bit for the coyotes this past season, obviously didn't turn any heads, only four points in 20 games was barely getting over 10 minutes a night per game. Uh, But yeah, like now we saw, you know, Quinn Hughes obviously had this huge season for the Canucks and Philip Zadina seemed to be starting to make an impact for the Red Wings before he got injured. So like, is is this a thing where this is what people expected and still everyone is cool with what Cheka did with this pick or are people like sort of concerned or like, what's your general sense of Barrett Hayton and how people are feeling about him at this point? Yeah, well, a lot of people were really concerned about the pick. I think at first you're saying, you know, we all knew the names, no one knew, you know, Zadina was there and and everything like that. And I think uh, a lot of people and myself included were kind of expecting Zadina to be the pick there. Um, and then kind of Chica goes a little bit off the board to get Hayton. And um, I was kind of, I was a little shocked. I think a lot of people were shocked. A lot of, you know, national pundits were, were kind of giving Chica grief over that pick. Um, and then, you know, Hayton goes back to juniors that first year in 2019 and just absolutely lights it up and everybody changed their mind. I mean, I think of Corey Priman of the athletic who basically came out with a story and said, I was wrong about Barrett Hayton. This kid's the real deal. You know what I mean? Like that's a great pick. Um, uh, and feeling good about it. I think that was kind of the consensus with Coyotes fans too, you know, who, who were following Barrett Hayden along and, and reading what, you know, all of us were writing about him when he was in junior. But, you know, big question all season from us to the Coyotes have been, what's the plan with Barrett? What's the plan with Barrett? You know, he makes the roster uh, out of camp. A lot of people forget he made the opening night roster in 2019. Never played, but he made the roster, ended up going back to Sault Ste. Marie. Um, he makes the roster again in 2020. Is he going to go back? You know, what, where is he going to go? Is, you know, he basically just sits on the bench for the, for the Coyotes until he ends up going to World Juniors where, you know, he becomes a legend, um, you know, over there with a sep- grade. I think it was a grade one separated shoulder, if I remember correctly. You know, scores the, uh, the game-tying goal in the gold medal game. You guys know it. Um, but it's just kind of like he ma- makes a legend for himself there, comes back to Arizona, he's got to rehab his shoulder, and he sits on the bench again. You know, so and we're all like, what's the plan? What's the plan? And it really seemed like the Coyotes had no firm plan of what they were going to do with Barrett Hayton. You know, they, there was really just not a whole lot of room for him because like I said, while the Coyotes don't have that elite centerman, they had a lot of like middle centermen playing. Like you have Derek Stepan, Christian Dvorak, Nick Schmaltz, you know, uh, Brad Richardson on the fourth line. Like what what are you supposed to do? Like where, where is he supposed to play? Like, do you play him on the wing? Do you want to do that? Do you want to, you know, so there's really seemed to be no set plan for him, which was disappointing because, you know, we were kind of, asking about it all year and getting different answers every time. Oh, you know, we'll see how it goes. It's like, meanwhile, this kid's just kind of sitting on the bench and biding his time. And um, I, I think next year is going to be the year. I think, um, you know, I think the I think the Coyotes are in a position now, finan- well, not financially, I should say. I mean, they have plenty of money, but cap-wise, I should say, um, they're going to need to get rid of some veteran contracts, especially if they have any chance at um, signing Taylor Hall. I mean, they're pretty close to a cap team still right now. So um, they're going to need to shed some, some veterans. Maybe that's Derek Stepan, you know, maybe Brad Richardson doesn't come back. Maybe Carl Soderberg doesn't come back. Forgot to mention him before. Um, you know, so if that happens, maybe now there's a spot for, for Barrett Hayton. But um, I think a lot of people are feeling good about this pick, but um, there's a lot of still uncertainty is like, 
you know, he, why didn't he play? You know, why did he sit on the bench for so long? And, you know, when he got in there, he, I can tell you just from watching him, you know, there were some games where you would see some things he would do on the ice and be like, wow, this is what the Coyotes are missing. This, like this kid can be an elite centerman. And then there were other games where he was just kind of making some boneheaded mistakes and you're like, eh, maybe, maybe he's not ready. So you kind of were seeing a, a little bit of, of hot and cold with him. You know, you're seeing a lot of elite characteristics and then a lot of, you know, characteristics that, yeah, a 19, 20 year old generally shows. So I think next year will be a big year for him at the NHL level. It was nice to see him get, it's funny. Cause like it didn't go exactly the way you would have thought with Hayton because he started the season averaging almost 13 minutes of ice. I'm just looking over his game log to see this this hot and cold that you're mentioning, just to yeah. quantify it. Four points in six games while averaging almost 13 minutes a night over his first six games that spanned you know, most of the month of October and one in November. And then after that, his ice time plummeted. Like it was just, there were 10, there were a bunch of 10 minute games, a few under there, some around 11 and a half. So hopefully next year is the year that he can step in, make his mark and make John Chaika look uh, brilliant for having quote unquote reached to grab him where he did. Somebody else who needs to work to make John Chaika look better than he does for a move that was recently made is Phil Kessel, Ugh. who I, I mean, like, I, I know, right? Like this is this is the feeling. I feel great like, question answered. I think we <laughs> we've just like pounded on this guy all season long, and I don't want to. Like I, I like Phil Kessel. I like I appreciate him for the game he plays, and didn't have like outsized expectations for him in Arizona. But even with those modest expectations, he really he didn't even come close to meeting them. Right? He was coming off a eighty-two point season with the Penguins. And we thought maybe he, he couldn't be the whole top power play of the whole offense, but maybe he could jumpstart it and be fantasy relevant, you know, put in some reasonable production on a consistent basis. Unfortunately, that's not what happened. Kessel had 38 points after 70 games for a 45-point pace, and he also stopped shooting. He was on pace to take fewer than 200 shots for the first time in his career. So how would you summarize Kessel's first season in Arizona and what are we looking for him to do next year? Like, did is it possible that Arizona targeted and brought in the wrong guy to fix their offense problem? Yeah, there's a lot of questions wrapped up there. Um, I mean, I have I have a lot of things to say about the Phil Kessel um, acquisition and how it worked out. I now think, like, um, you know, first and foremost, I mean, I'll just say it like this: I don't think Phil Kessel was a very good hockey player for the Coyotes this year. Um, he just he just flat out wasn't. There were a lot of nights where. It, he just wasn't skating. There wasn't a whole lot of effort there on a lot of nights. And um, you just kind of – we spent the entire year scratching our heads. You know, it, the way I always kind of explain it to people and even just some other media members around me, like there were a lot of Coyotes players who were inconsistent this year. Clayton Keller was inconsistent. He had hot stretches. He had cold stretches, right? Like a lot of players had stretches. Nick Schmaltz was another guy who kind of had like that. A lot of players were hot and cold. Phil Kessel was consistently inconsistent. He was consistently a non-producer for this team um, all year long. It, he And yet, you know, he always got the opportunities. Nobody on the Coyotes got more opportunity to shine than Phil Kessel. Anybody who watched Coyotes game could see every single time it was a crunch time moment, regardless of, you know, how well someone like Connor Garland had played that night. Or, you know, Connor Garland's on a five-game you know game goal streak. doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Last second, someone needs a goal. Phil Kessel's on the ice. And half the time, you know, he'd, he'd make an ill-advised, you know, pass up the wall in a turnover, or, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd blow a shot wide or, he'd, you know, not pull the trigger on, on a shot. And, um, you know, I think Rick Tockett 
put Phil in every single position possible to succeed. Um, and he didn't, you know, and again, a lot of that has to do with the, the players around you. I mean, you guys know from a fantasy perspective, you can expect his numbers to go down when you're not playing with a center, like, you know, Evgeny Malkin or Sidney Crosby, you know, that if he's going to be playing with Christian Dvorak or Derek Stepan, it's just not as good. Um, but even when you take that into account, what you would have expected Phil Kessel to produce, this was way, way, way below that. And you're right. The shooting was a huge confusing part of this. You know, there was so many opportunities where, you know, you see Phil just blow, like coming down the wing, like barreling, like the old Phil Kessel, like just, you know, how he skates that fast on that body, we'll never know, but he's just coming down the right wing and he's ready to shoot and he just blows it six feet wide. And you're like, what is that? You know, and I can't even count on my hands the amount of times I saw Phil Kessel do that. And, um, and a lot of times when he would just pass up shots and, um, you know, it was really something that kind of caught me by attention where I'd see like, you know, Connor Garland just have to grind away fourth line minutes. He was the Coyotes best player this year, by the way. And it was, and it wasn't close. He was the Coyotes best player this year and it wasn't close. And uh, he works every shift. Like I've never seen, I've never seen a hockey player work that hard every single shift. I've never seen someone um, find creative ways to score. Like I've seen Connor Garland score and determination to get to the net and do whatever it takes every single shift. I mean, that's what Connor Garland is about. And it took months and months and months of playing like that for him to finally get a shot on the first line. He has one bad game and he's off, off the first line. And you, and then he, you know, gets sheltered minutes after that. And he's, you know, relegated to fourth line duty. And yet, you know, Phil Kessel, you know, I understand the pedigree is a thing and I totally understand there's a prior relationship with Rick Tockett, but it did feel like Phil Kessel got special treatment over other players. And it, it did, it, it, it did kind of raise some flags for me as an observer of the team and, and someone who's trying to, um, you know, trying to tell the story of what happened to the Coyotes. That was certainly something that, that raised my eyebrows as to your question of what we can expect out of Phil Kessel next year. It's just hard for me to kind of, you know, know exactly what to expect, right? I mean, I, I can tell you that, you know, uh, he did deal with a groin injury early on this season. I think that hampered his skating pretty bad. Um, but, you know, Phil, again, that's another part of this too, is the Ironman streak. You know, if, if Phil Kessel wasn't on an Ironman streak, would he have sat out a couple games to nurse that groin injury? Uh, you know, or did he play through it because of the streak? Did he just play through it? you know, because he wanted to help his team. You know, it's, it's kind of unfair to speculate on, on that, but all I'm saying is he did have a groin injury and it looked like it did hamper his skating because for a while there, that did not look like Phil Kessel skating on the ice. He did seem to get his legs back at some point. Um, but after that, it kind of was inconsistent. You'd have some nights where it looked like Phil Kessel was going other nights where it didn't look like Phil Kessel was going despite getting, you know, the same ice time and the same opportunities every single night you just weren't getting the same guy every night. And uh, at that point it was my understanding that Phil was a hundred percent or, you know, was pretty much healthy, you know, as healthy as you can be at that point of the season, wasn't dealing with that groin anymore. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, what's the problem then? Yeah. So I'm actually just trying to read between the lines and figure out what, what is the problem? Cause we know the what for sure. And like the groin injury sounds like something that explains part of it, but I mean, I'm wondering did I don't know you you said you worked in Boston I don't know did you see Kessel in Boston at all or Kessel in Arizona like did something change in him when he got to Arizona is he the same player he's always been and it's just just not working like does this is there something he needs to do more of or work harder to to get his own game back that he just did not do this year yeah uh, I mean I was still pretty young when Phil was in Boston I was I was born in 95 so I was still like what uh-huh. like 10 11 10 11 12 when um 
you know, when he was in Boston, I never, I never saw him in Boston. I wasn't really a huge uh, Bruins fan um, uh, growing up. I really didn't get into hockey until a little bit later in my life. But um, I think, uh, you know, obviously I watched Phil in, in, in Pittsburgh, you know, playoff games and stuff like that. Um, but I'm not going to, you know, pretend like I'm, I'm the biggest, you know, study of his game or anything like that, student of his game. Um, but, you know, all I know is that the production dropped off. And, you know, from, from what was my understanding of, of Phil, you know, it just, for whatever reason, didn't work here, at least not in the first year. The one thing I will say, you know, I know I kind of, you know, had some strong things to say in that last segment about, you know, how kind of how I felt about Phil's play and, you know, how, how he was treated by the coaching staff. The, the one other thing I will say in Phil's defense is he really seemed to make a huge impact off the ice on the, on the younger players in the Coyotes locker room on numerous, numerous occasions. I had players like Connor Garland, players like Clayton Keller, um, you know, Nick Schmaltz telling me how much, um, you know, Phil was, uh, very open, you know, very welcoming to them, you know, for whatever kind of advice they needed, whatever kind of, um, you know, like just hanging out or, you know, talking shop or, or whatever, you know, I think the guys really seem to enjoy having Phil around. That was a real thing that I noticed in, in the, in the locker room. So I just want to make sure kind of, I, I say that to kind of, I don't, I don't want to just sit here bashing Phil Kessel. Obviously the, there's two different sides to this, right? There's the performance of Phil, but then there's also the off the ice, impact too. And he really seemed to make a great off the ice impact on a lot of the players. And, you know, like, let's not fool ourselves. Like a big part of this too, is the Coyotes bringing in a big name helps a ton with, you know, getting some butts in the seats and it helps a ton with, you know, corporate sponsorships. It just does, you know, you know, the Coyotes have a, have an owner who's, who's, you know, in Alex Morello, who took over this summer is very well off. He's one of the richest owners in the NHL. So capital is not a problem, but you know, the Coyotes are trying to prove to their fans that they're for real. Coyotes fans, you mentioned at the top of the show, they've gone seven years now, probably eight years without making the playoffs. That's, that's really hard. I mean, forget the fact that they're in Arizona. That's hard for any fan base. I don't care where you are. Mm-hmm. Why would you want to root for a team that's gone almost a decade without making the playoffs? So the Coyotes, they made strides in the last few years. This was a big thing for them, not only on the ice, but off the ice, to get a guy of Phil Kessel's caliber to prove to everybody, hey, we're for real. We're serious about this. We're going for the playoffs. We're not tanking. We're not. We're for real. We're playing good hockey. We're trying to make the playoffs uh, and we're bringing in big names and spending money to do it. That was a big message too. So there was a definitely a business side to this as well. I don't think it was misguided. I think it was a smart business move by them to, to do that. And a smart, I still think it was a smart hockey move to do. I mean, you know, I, I know it didn't work out or anything, you know, clearly didn't work out in the first year, but you know, you look at the train in a nutshell. I mean, who knows what happened to Alex Galchenyuk? I mean, he, he really went to Pittsburgh and fell in a well or something. I mean, he just, at least it wasn't Arizona, right? Like you, you, at least like we all can come to some closure. Got even there. worse. I mean, he, he, he was, he was tied for the, for the Coyotes team lead in goals in 2019. Alex Galchenyuk was with 19. Um, so I, I think he went to Pitt, Pittsburgh and, and somehow got even worse than that. And, um, you know, Pierre Olivier Joseph, one of the nicest kids I've ever met by the way, but you know, uh, not quite sure what his NHL future is going to be. Um, you know, we had been following him for years after the draft saying, you know, is he going to put weight on that body? I mean, he's a very, very slender dude. Um, you know, is he going to be able to put weight on that body and be able to, you know, compete, um, you know, at an NHL level, uh, you know, physicality wise. So I think you look at the trade. I, I don't think it, I, to this, I'm saying this on April 26th, you know, 2020, I don't think it was a bad hockey trade and I don't think it was a bad, you know, business move. I still think bringing in Phil Kessel was the right thing to do. 
Um, but clearly it didn't work out how the Coyotes hoped it would uh, in 2020. Regardless, um, I don't think the Coyotes have any regrets about it. Right. Yeah. And, and hey, we'll see what happens in the future seasons. Obviously, it doesn't help. Also, I, I saw his most common line mates were Stepan and Lawson Kraus. So it's not as if Kessel was exactly surrounded by great talent. But like you said, he did get a Correct. lot of opportunities and big power play time. And actually, I want to move on from Kessel now to a guy you brought up before the future of the team, Clayton Keller, who like, you know, Brian and I over the summer when we saw that Kessel arrive, we thought, oh, this is going to be huge. Like now Arizona's going to have like a great power play. They're going to get all these power play points to help Keller like get over the hump and become like a real superstar in the league. Because he had that like great rookie season right we had 65 points in 82 games but then it seemed like he took a step back and this season like wasn't looking much better like he only had 33 points through 56 games by february so that was only like a 48 point pace uh but then like right around the end like right before the pause we saw hints of a turnaround for keller like he put up five goals and six assists in his final 14 games likely not a big coincidence that i see this coincided with him getting a shot to play with taylor hall and christian dvorak on the top line i guess bumping connor garland so going into next season i guess the thing is it's so hard to predict since we don't know what's gonna happen with taylor hall but do you see keller like getting back to that 65 points rookie season maybe even higher uh or are we gonna have to wait like you know does it depend on if they have taylor hall for him to play with for a full season well i'll tell you what he, he he'd better get back to that point pace or he better exceed it. I mean, given that that contract that he signed, I mean, you're, you're signing a guy to a massive, massive deal at, and he really didn't do a whole lot to earn it. So the deal was you're paying for future performance. You know, a lot of UFA deals, you're paying for past performance. It's just, it's just the way it is. It's like that in almost every single sport at the UFA market, you're paying for past performance. It's just the way it goes. And in a situation like Keller's, the Coyotes were paying for future performance. So when you look at, you know, his first year post-contract, I know this wasn't his first year of the contract, but it's his first year post-signing that contract, huge, a huge disappointment. I mean, that's just not – what he was able to produce for them was not really even close to, you know, his, his price tag. And he knows it. Coyotes know it. They signed Clayton Keller. They locked him up to be, you know – probably, you know, they're one or two best wingers. And I don't even know if he was that this year, you know, and that was, that was just kind of what it came down to. And, and you saw a lot of just inconsistency. Like you mentioned, I think he had a, I, I want to say it was, you know, around, you know, November issue. I think he had like a, um, you know, a month long streak where he was a point per game player and he was looking, um, looking like the old Clayton Keller. And then he kind of falls back into it. And, you know, Clayton's a guy who, you know, he, he's an offensive guy. He's a point producer, right? He's a guy who you have him on your team to put up points. And if he's not putting up points, he's not doing a whole lot for your team. He's not a guy who, you know, gets dirty in the boards. He's not a guy who's, you know, winning faceoffs. You know, he's not a centerman. You know, he's not a guy who's, you know, getting back on defense and back checking and blocking shots and hitting people. That's, that's not Clayton Keller. He's a point producer. That's why he's on your team. So when you go through, I think, you know, I, I wrote about it at the time, like a 14, you know, game stretch where, you know, he had one point or, you know, zero points. It's like, that's 14 games just where Clayton Keller did nothing for you at all. You know, like he's a point producer. That's why he's on your team. So uh, he needs to produce points. Um, he knows it. Everybody knows it. Um, he's a guy who takes his hockey life very seriously. He's what Rick Tockett calls a hockey nerd. I mean, this is a guy who, after playing hockey all day long, will go home and watch nothing but hockey. I mean, he studies it. He watches it. He's, you know, eats, sleeps, and breathes it. I mean, he's extremely driven and, and, and passionate kid. 
Um, you know, he stayed in Arizona this past summer. I mean, I got to get him a psyche bell. Why would you want to stay in Arizona over the summer? I mean, geez, it's awful, but he wanted to do it because he did that before his rookie year. And obviously his rookie year was fantastic. He trained in Arizona the summer before his rookie year had a 60 point plus campaign. Didn't do it the year after obviously had a sophomore dip, wanted to do it again this past off season because he's like, I, I got to do whatever I did worked. And so that was the dedication he showed. Clearly it didn't really translate to results, but I guess what I'm trying to illustrate here is that, you know, Clayton is one of the most, you know, driven guys. He's a first one on the ice, last one off kind of kid. Um, but for whatever reason, it just seems like that, that drive and that work ethic just for whatever reason isn't there on a night-to-night basis when the game starts. And that's kind of what Clayton is going to have to figure out. I do expect him to get back to a, you know, a place where he's producing you know, maybe 60 to 70 points, maybe even more consistently on a year-in, year-out basis. I still think Clayton Keller is that player. When will it happen? I don't know. But I still think that's inside of him. I, I still I, – Will that contract be fair value? I don't know. But I still think Clayton Keller is a is a valuable player to have. I think he'll have a nice career. It's heartening to know how hard Clayton Keller is trying and working and, and just trying to be his best self. And I hope he can. And to be fair, outside of that stretch you mentioned where he had three points in 16 games, he was actually pacing for 62 points if you just – Cut that chunk out. So like you said, he's got that he's got that opportunity to be a 60, 70 point guy, maybe more so long as he can show up every night. How about let's move to sort of the supporting cast and the guys who do show up every night, but you don't always notice them because when they show up, uh, even when they show up, they might not do a whole lot. So um, the lesser name forwards, uh, we've already mentioned, we've mentioned all of them at some point in this episode. So Nick Schmaltz, he actually led the Coyotes in points with 45 in 70 games. Christian Dvorak centered Hall on the top line. Connor Garland also played on the top line with Hall and Dvorak. Had some big games too. Uh, between Schmaltz, Dvorak, Garland, feel free to th- feel free to throw out another name if you'd like. Does do any of these guys strike you as someone who may be primed for a breakout or even like a step forward in the coming season? Maybe you can give your quick thoughts on each of them and what you've liked or disliked in their games from this past year. And if you see them moving beyond that next season. Yeah. I mean, one guy you didn't mention who I want to mention first is Lawson Krause. I think his, his is a game that is still getting better every year. Um, he is the most, you know, the guys don't have a lot of, you know, physical rough and tough guys. He's probably the only one on the team, but this guy has, this guy has wheels and he has a sick shot. I mean, he is a really, really good all around player. He's your, old school power forward type guy. He can, he can get rough. He can work hard, but he can also put the puck in the back of the net. He's got a great back end, great forehand, and he's sneaky fast for a guy his size too. He's a really, really good player. Um, he's gotten better every single year. And I, I truly think he hasn't, he has not hit the ceiling yet. I expect Lawson Krauss to keep getting better. I think, I think he definitely has a ceiling as a top six winger for sure. To get to the guys you mentioned, uh, Nick Schmaltz is another guy, you know, inconsistent year. Um, his first couple of games of the year were really rough. And then he went on a stretch where he was the Coyotes' best player um, and then kind of, you know, dipped back and forth a little bit after that. You know, he, he's another guy, too. The Coyotes switched him around. Was he a center? Was he a wing? You know, not really super sure. You know, who's he playing with? You know, they did a lot of line juggling this year, and Nick Schmaltz was, you know, the guy in on all of those different combinations. Um you know, I think he's a guy, again, like many of the Coyotes players, going to have to learn to play with a little bit more consistency. You know, that's that's hard when your line mates are, are different almost every single night. But um, he's a guy that still has a lot of potential. I'd like to see him shoot the puck a little bit more. He has 
you know, I think Nick's bread and butter is, is a, he's got a really, really nice toe drag, you know, top shelf forehand shot. Um, and, uh, you didn't really use that a whole lot. You know, he's a really good half wall guy on the power play. Didn't really feel like Rick Tockett and, um, and Phil Housley gave him enough opportunities to really show what he can do on the half wall in the power play. I think he's really elite in that regard. Um, I'd also like to see him carry the puck through the zone a little bit more. I didn't really feel like, um, you know, even when Nick was on the ice, sometimes he was on the ice with guys like, like Kessel or, 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 I mean, Taylor Hall or Clayton Keller or guys that he would defer to, to always carry the puck through the zone. Those are all good zone entry guys. Don't get me wrong, but kind of wanted a chance to see a little bit more of Nick Schmaltz carrying the puck through the middle of the ice, because I think he's really skilled in that regard, but didn't quite get a chance to show it. Um, so I think maybe he's the guy who, if, de- if you know, uh, deployed correctly, could be uh, someone who can step in the right direction. Uh, Connor Garland is probably the last guy I want to mention. You know, I said earlier, I, th- I thought he was the Coyotes' best player. I, I really do. Um, he obviously was their best goal scorer. Um, you know, he- he's their hardest worker. He's the heart and soul of the team right now. I think we all expected him to regress a little bit. He came up last year. He wowed them in training camp, broke his hand had to kind of work his way back through the minors, get a chance, you know, through an injury to come up. And then he just never stopped scoring, never stopped. And he just kept going and going and going. And I think this year we're kind of expecting, all right, like Connor Garland will settle down. He'll, he'll come back to earth. And he didn't. So I think, I think he is on his earth, wherever that is. That's where he is. I'm, I'm, I've kind of spent a good part of the last year plus, like just expecting Connor Garland to regress and I'm kind of sick of that. So I think I'm just going to take the stance where I'm just expecting that this is, this is the real Connor Garland. And uh, he's done nothing to to show me that it, that this is not the real Connor Garland. So that's kind of where I stand on that. Um, Is he going to exceed that goal total next year? I think that definitely depends on who he's going to play with. I think this kid is a, is a, has a chance to become a legit goal scoring threat. Um, you know, but again, he's a guy that's going to have to, um, you know, find some other ways to, to contribute. I think, I think he's a guy who can really work on his passing. Um, he can really work on his, um, his creativity in that regard. I don't think he was bad at it this year by any means, but I still think there are some steps he can take as, you know, a relatively young player to round out his offensive game. Um, but I, I think you saw the, some, some budding there from a really good, um, you know, defensive instincts, but yeah, I think Connor could get even better in that regard too. Um, I think the, the, what makes Connor so special is his skating. He actually has a, an ice figure skating background. He was trained by a figure skater. So he stops on one foot. He doesn't stop with two feet. He stops on one skate. So it allows Connor to be very, very shifty. He's one of the most dangerous players in tight spaces that uh, I think I've seen play for the coyotes and, since I've been here for sure. Um, his ability to just be shifty on the ice and he can stop on a dime because he can stop on one foot. So he can look like he's going in one direction and all of a sudden just stick one skate out and stop and go in the other direction. Um, because he has a little bit of that figure skating background. So, um, there's a great story. My colleague, Craig Morgan of the athletic, uh, wrote a great story. Um, if any athletic subscribers out there, I encourage you guys to go and, and read that. Uh, it's not my publication, but it's, it's a fantastic story. It's worth, worth exploring if you're a subscriber, but, um, at any rate, I think that's what makes Connor a very creative player because he's he can he can really do some damage in tight spaces and 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 I think uh, I think that kind of uniqueness to his game 
will will kind of lead him in the right direction. Yeah, it's really cool. Like uh, he seems like he really could be a diamond in the rough here, right? Because like he already had this really good season. He got thirty nine points in sixty eight games. It's like a forty seven point pace, pacing for like twenty seven goals if he would have kept up the same pace. And this is with only like fourteen minutes of ice time. Like like yeah. you're saying, you know. So he imagine- didn't get the opportunities that some other guys got. You know, I mean, like you know, Phil while Phil was getting more ice time and other guys were getting more ice time, Connor had to slum it you know, in the bottom six and yet still produce at that pace. And I think Connor, you know, just one last thing to kind of tag the discussion on him would be, you know, he had to reinvent himself as a player. If you go back and watch his tapes in the Quebec league where he was, you know, winning scoring titles as, as a prospect, but he was an elite puck possession guy. He never let go of the puck. He could just, because of that creative skating ability, he could just skate circles around everybody in that league. He would never have to give up the puck. He would just skate around everybody and score or pass and they'd score. That's how he put up points. And then when he got to professional hockey and started playing in the AHL, you can't do that anymore. You can't hold the puck for 60 seconds every shift. You just can't. Um, so he literally, he was in, in Tucson, the Coyotes AHL affiliate just two years ago. He was a healthy scratch at the AHL level two years ago because he didn't know how to play professional hockey. He knew how to play junior hockey, didn't know how to play professional hockey. He had to basically completely reinvent himself as a player. And now we're seeing a Connor Garland. If you watch those tapes when he was in Moncton uh, versus, uh, you know, tapes with him in the Coyotes, you would think it's a totally different player. I mean, it's, it's insane. He's done it in such a short amount of time, but he's found another way. He's, he's just found a different way to produce. Yeah, I don't know if what excites me more, all this talk about Connor Garland or the fact that someone who was born in 1994, like yourself, is still using the word tapes. That makes me excited as as someone uh, a little more weathered here. But uh, yeah, we've actually uh, talked about guys like this on the podcast in the past. Like I recall like Victor Arvidsson or Timo Meyer were guys that were not getting great deployment, like not getting big minutes. But we saw that in the minutes they did play, they were like taking a lot of shots and scoring goals. And like maybe Connor Garland could be the next version of one of these guys. Uh, so, okay, I guess we should move to the defense now we've got to talk about Oliver Ekman Larson because he's another guy that I thought oh Phil Kessel's coming finally someone that he could you know get points with on the power play and obviously that didn't work out in fact Oliver Ekman Larson had I think his worst offensive season since the second in the league he only had 30 points in 66 games it's a 37 point pace uh there were even stretches where I see he was bumped from the top power play for Jacob Chikrin uh and some other players so obviously on the plus side I guess a lot like uh, Clayton Keller, OEL was heating up right before the pause. He had six points in his last six games, whatever that's worth. But yeah, so going into next season, uh, like what are what should we be expecting from Oliver Ekman Larson at this point? Like, is he can he still be the guy he was before, or is maybe he out of chances? Maybe is it time that we should be expecting Jacob Chickren to take over as the top offensive defenseman on the Coyotes? Well, I do think. I mean, the first thing I'll say is I do think Jacob Chickren is um, will you know be their top. Uh, goal scoring defenseman. I will say that. I think Jacob Chikrin, uh, I mean, this, he has a freaking rocket. I mean, this, this guy has a great shot, absolutely great shot for a defenseman and great scoring, like just great, really good offensive instincts. You know, uh, the early part of the year, Jacob Chikrin looked like he took a quantum leap forward. I mean, there were times in like, the last few years where, you know, Chick looked kind of lost. He would really get lost in defensive coverage. You know, he'd kind of, not really understand, you know, where he was supposed to go, who he was supposed to cover. And it was like nine day he comes in this year. You know, I think the first couple of games were a little wobbly. And then, I mean, he was an elite defenseman and there were, there was probably two or three months this year where he, he was an elite defenseman and, and I'll stand by that. He really was. He 
started to get a little inconsistent um, after that. I thought, you know, he had some good games, he had some bad games after that. But for the most part this year, he, he really looked like an elite defenseman. And he might not have elite offensive numbers, but I'm talking from a defensive. I mean, he was just shut down guy, a great stick. I mean, just a really, really, really huge step forward for him. Um, again, I thought he lost it a little bit. You know, the prior year he was, you know, he had, you know, some tendonitis from his second knee reconstructive surgery, which at his age to already have two major knee surgeries. I mean, that's, that's a lot to work back from, you know, in terms of just time you need to train. So this year was really the first year he was healthy. Um, and I think you saw the fruits of that labor. You know, getting to Oliver certainly was a disappointing year for him. And, all, and it wasn't just offensively. I thought he had a really rough year defensively, too. Um, not all nights, but some nights where there were some, there were some decisions, some reads. You'd see him just make a read on a play and be like, why? why? You know, why would you do that? I mean, you're, you, you, would, you would just you, – we've seen Oliver make, make those plays and make those reads before, and it just seemed like – there were some times you just kind of, you're scratching your head. Like you were with a lot of players on the Coyotes this year. You're just kind of scratching your head at to what Oliver was doing sometimes. Uh, you know, uh, again, I, I, I do think, you know, we can't forget about the fact that, you know, he's the captain now and things have changed. And this was the second year um, with the captaincy and, you know, he's kind of regressed a little bit since then. The Coyotes will tell you, they believe that Oliver's best hockey is still in front of him. That may be the case, but um, I think we've seen, a downward trend since they put the C on his sweater. Um, look, I think the players really like Oliver and I think Oliver is a very friendly dude, but he's a little reserved. You know, he's kind of the, he's kind of the, the quiet leader where he's, you know, he's there for you. You know, he's in your corner. You'll know he'll fight for you, but he's not rah, rah in the locker room. Um, and at times this year, it kind of felt like the coyotes needed a rah, rah guy in the locker room when, they went on long losing streaks and just couldn't score and, you know, went on these stretches where they needed more out of some players. And you kind of wished maybe that, you know, there was somebody in there who could just, you know, kick him in the can and get him going. Um, you know, obviously we don't know what happens behind closed doors, but I just know what, what I know about Oliver, the person, he's a little bit of a reserved guy, extremely nice, very approachable. Um, but again, not the rah-rah type. And you have to wonder if, you know, maybe those extra responsibilities that, you know, he's, um, you know, acknowledged to me privately that, you know, there, there is more responsibilities that, that he has and, and there are, there is more things that he has to do off the ice as the captain, um, more responsibility, more pressure, you know, more, more outside, um, you know, expectations on him, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's weighed on him a little bit, Maybe it hasn't, but all we have are, are the facts, right? And all we have are the numbers, and we've seen a downward trend. So um, I do think there's a chance that Oliver could rebound in a big way because I still think he has, um, he has those elite skills and those elite skills we've seen for years and years with the Coyotes. But, um, you know, again, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's a wait and see, and I think we're looking at the trends and, you know, is it going to go up? Is he going to rebound? You know, I think we'll see. But, um, you know, uh, will Chikrin be a better – be a better producing defenseman. I think it'll be pretty close. The good news is that, I mean, Ekman Larson and Chikrin both being there, hope one of them sounds like should hit, right? Either Ekman Larson can rebound and do well, or Chikrin's there to at least do his thing if Ekman Larson can't. And Chikrin, of course, had like that really strong run towards the end of the year, seven points in seven games. I came after a long cold snap, but with those ups and downs, he was coming out to about a 35-point player from the back end. With more power play time, maybe he can even beat that. And so I, I also say I'm kind of sad to hear, like – 
I, I, my support goes to Ekman Larson in his extra responsibilities and doing what he does. Like, I feel like most players are excited and happy to be captain. Maybe he is, but it's, uh, I guess he takes it. Oh, he definitely is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and he learned a lot from Shane, you learned a lot from Shane Doan, you know, I mean, he was, he grew up under Shane Doan, right? I mean, a lot of, he's the only, I mean, right now, Brad Richardson, who's a pending UFA, Oliver is the only guy who's been the Coyotes since 2016 or prior. I mean, you go, go 2016 or before nobody on this roster was with the Coyotes. I mean, John Chike has totally remade it. So Oliver is the only holdover from the, from those, from the Doan days. And uh, I think when you, when you kind of examine that and you've Oliver's taken a lot of cues and I think Oliver is a better captain because of, because of Shane Doan and because of those lessons that Shane taught him. And I think Oliver uses a lot of those same techniques and that's why he, uh, he's able to connect with the players so well is because, you know, Shane was able to lead by example in that way. Um, you know, I can't tell you whether Oliver's a good captain or not because I'm not on his team. I don't know. You know, I don't know what he's like, but all I know is that there are, there are other expectations that come along with being a captain, other off the ice um, responsibilities. And, and of course, outside expectations too, by the fans and supporters and, 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 you know, whomever. So um, that's all I know. You know, I can't really speculate on whether he's a good captain or not. I'm not one of his players. Yeah, for sure. Well, hey, as someone who's had Oliver Ekman Larson on my fantasy team, if, if being a captain is too much responsibility, give it to like Brad Richardson or someone and let Oliver focus on the on the scoring. But I really did like what I saw from Chikrin at the end of the year. So it is exciting. I think I think Chikrin, you know, if I had to pick one player, and I know this is a fantasy hockey podcast, so you'll probably like me going on this little uh, digression here. Um, if I had to pick one Coyotes player who would, or I guess pick the Coyotes player who would take the biggest uh, point leap from this year to next year, I would pick Jacob Chikrin. Oh, nice. Okay, so something to look forward to. Not not counting, you know, Barrett Hayton doesn't count. I'm not counting because I think, okay. obviously, I think it will be Barrett Hayton when all is said and done because he didn't really play. But I think when, um, not counting Barrett Hayton, I, I think Jacob Chikrin will have the biggest step forward in, in, uh, in point production from uh, their 2019-20 campaign to their 2020-21 campaign. I, I, will, I will give you guys that. That's wild, especially considering that Phil Kessel only pays for like 45 points and you're still saying Chikrin is going to jump more ahead. So that yep. says a lot. Uh, so w- definitely we got to finish with the goaltending. Like you said, probably the key part of this Coyotes team, especially for the last couple of seasons, uh, like this, the goaltending tandem is so interesting. Like you brought it up, like Darcy Kemper had this amazing run at the end of 2018-19. Like no one expected it. Ronto was injured and Kemper just didn't slow down. I recall on the podcast, I'd be like, Brian, is, this, is Kemper for real? And it was kind of like, well, you know, like we've never really seen him, do, but like he just kept on going and then you know over the summer we were trying to debate okay who's the starter next year or is it going to be 50 50 and I, a lot of us thought that okay well auntie ronta is the more established goalie kemper had that great run but no way he can do it again and then the season started and like before too long kemper was the for sure starting goalie and he was just as hard as he was before he had our 15 17 and 2 record with a 935 save percentage through december 17th he had played 24 games which was doubling ronta's 12 games uh, ronta was doing fine like he was doing really well also 919 save percentage well above average but couldn't hold the candle to Kemper but then of course Kemper had that disastrous game versus Minnesota where he left seven goals and then he left the game with a lower body injury that would keep him out for a couple of months so just I definitely wish that that game just never happened for him but yeah this opened the door for Ranta who like you said also had his injury concerns like he played well when he was healthy he's currently sitting at a 921 save percentage on the season so with all that in mind do you have any sense like what's the plan for next year is this just a clear-cut like Kemper's the starter and Ranta's the backup? Or do you think once again, we're going to go into training camp uh, expecting it to be a timeshare and they're just going to fight for starts? 
Yeah, I think I think it's still a tandem situation. I don't think there's any question that, you know, Kemper seems to be the 1A to Ranta's 1B, but it's become abundantly clear that Antti Ranta needs to be in a tandem situation at best. Like, he can't be the guy because he just hasn't been able to stay healthy enough. You know, I think you made a good – I mean, you guys made – you guys kind of painted the picture perfectly. I mean, that game against Minnesota was one of the biggest turning points in the Coyotes season, you know, Kemper goes down, and in the four games after that, you know, Ronta comes back on the 22nd at Detroit. That's a pretty good game. You know, two goals allowed, it's a win. But the next three games, all losses uh, at Nashville, three goals allowed. At Vegas, four goals allowed. Home against Dallas, three goals allowed. Now, you know, altogether, that's, you know, I think 12 goals allowed in, in four games. That's three goals allowed per game. You're probably saying to yourselves at home, well, it's not really that much. But the Coyotes, that's a big deal because they don't score goals. The Coyotes, if, if you're allowing three goals a game, the Coyotes are not going to win many of those games. They're just not, they don't have the offensive firepower. They need their goaltenders to allow two goals or less every single night. And for the most part, when both of them are healthy, they can do that. They literally can do that. They can keep the, their opponents to two goals or less every single night, night in and night out. And that's, that's how they win their games. They win close games, but it was clear when Ronta came in, um, he, you know, had he struggled out of the gate. You know, I think after that, you, you look at, you know, three really good performances after that bad stretch, all wins St. Louis, uh, Anaheim and Philadelphia, uh, only three goals allowed in those three games. So he kind of makes up for it a little bit there. Uh, but, if, but at that point, right when Ronta started to get hot, the workload caught up with him and he himself suffered a lower body injury. So again, it was, you saw Ronta, uh, you kind of like looking right. He comes back in there the first game back into the starters role. He plays really well. Right. But then all of a sudden he's got to readjust to the playing time. So then you saw three games where he wasn't so great, but then he had adjusted. So you have three games where he's really good because he's back in the groove, but his body couldn't hold up and he wasn't ready for that kind of pressure. So you can, you can kind of see where I'm going. Like you can read this pattern. You can kind of imagine what was going on in Ronta's mind and with his body when he was thrown into this opportunity um, because he just hasn't shown that he's built to be the guy. And uh, when they made him the guy, you know, they Kemper goes down. So they bring up backup Aiden Hill or third stringer Aiden Hill, I should say from Tucson and put him as the backup, you know, would it have benefited the Coyotes more to just replace Kemper or, you know, replace Kemper with Ronta, but then replace Ronta with, with Hill and do kind of a tandem situation, even though you don't have Kemper there. And that way you're not running Ronta in, into the ground, which of course, you know, hindsight being 2020, that's what happened. Um, you know, would it have been a little bit more beneficial for them to play Aiden Hill during that stretch before Ronta got injured? Because once Ronta went down, it was the Aiden Hill show. And look, I think, I think Aiden Hill played okay for what was expected of him. But again, it was, you're allowing, you know, three, four goals on some nights. I'm sorry. You allow three, four goals with this, with the way this Coyotes offense was going, you're just not going to win those games. That's just the way it was going. They needed goaltenders in there who were going to, they, they couldn't allow more than two goals per game. They weren't going to win many of those games. And that was, that was just the fact of it. So that's really what happened in those few weeks after, um, after Kemper went down. And that's where the season went wrong. Because again, I told you they occupied first place as late as January 15th. You know, Kemper gets hurt about a month before that. So you had a month where, Okay, we're hanging on. You know, Ronta's good. We're feeling good. Well, you know, kind of getting used to it. Oh, now I'm hurt. And, you know, Aiden Hill's just hanging on for dear life. And it just, it was all just too much in the end. So do you think the the smart move 
here from now on with Kemper and Ranta, just manage both their workloads, keep them both healthy. Yes. And it, like, let's learn from our mistakes. Yeah, that's what they tried to do this year. But that's what they were doing, right? But it was, yeah. they, they, I think they had budgeted for a Ranta injury, but they didn't budget for a Kemper injury, right? <laughs> and they certainly didn't budget for both. Yeah. You know, that, that to me is what it looks like. I think like you're, well, I think I, I shouldn't say that. I, I, I think they budgeted for a Kemper injury because they thought, they thought that Ronta could do it, you know, because he unquestionably, Auntie Ronta has the talent to do it. There's no doubt about it. I think he is a, you know, superbly talented goaltender. Absolutely. I mean, he's, he's not, he's not that far away from, from Darcy Kemper's, uh, Darcy Kemper's skill level. I, I really, I really believe that it's, it's his ability to stay on the ice that, that does, does him in. So I think the Coyote said, I think they knew they'd be better off, you know, if they had to pick one of them to get injured, they'd certainly want Ronta or they'd certainly prefer Ronta, but, um, you know, Kemper goes down, they say, okay, well, we still have, you know, Ronta to get in there, you know, hopefully he can stay on the ice. He could. So they, they clearly, you know, nobody can budget for both of your goaltenders going down. You can, I, I think they probably have one of the better third string goaltenders in the league and yeah. it still wasn't enough. Yeah. Yeah. Few teams can survive. We saw Carolina try and manage that of course in game and then after the game too. And uh, it's really a, a difficult situation and keeping that all in mind, it's pretty impressive that uh, Arizona still remained just four points out of a playoff spot. Like all of a sudden that's looking pretty good considering the adversity they faced in the crease. Okay. Uh, we're, I think we're, we're coming to the end here, but one thing we're asking everybody we interview, every beat writer we interview. And I think you've already, you've already answered half this question. Uh, the question is um, looking, you know, for our fantasy hockey uh, owners going into next year, Pick one coyote that you expect to be the biggest positive surprise next season. The one who's like, oh, oh, he did way better than I would have expected. And I was able to get him at such great value. And then one that's going to be the biggest negative surprise. Like, oh, man, I really thought it was this guy's year and he just blew up. Am I putting words in your mouth by saying you already sort of named the biggest positive surprise as being Jacob Shikrin or Barrett Hayton? Yeah, those are the two guys I'd go with for sure. Um, you know, obviously two completely different players, right? They play two totally different positions. They have two totally different roles. But um, I do think from a fantasy perspective, those are two guys that I would I would look to target in value rounds. Um, and especially, I think anytime you're dealing with the Coyotes players, um, not only like you guys mentioned at the top, like there's always kind of, you're always a little bit bullish on offensive statistics, you know, when it comes to Coyotes players. But I think a lot of more people just maybe aren't familiar with coyotes players. So they kind of, you know, they, they want to, they kind of gravitate to the players that they know or the teams that they know. So maybe they're a little bit more unfamiliar with the coyotes players. So, um, you know, I'd say like, I don't know if a guy like Barrett Hayton or Jacob Chickren would, um, you know, how high they would go in a draft, but I certainly think that, you know, if, if they're even worth a pick in the late rounds, I think you could get some good value out of those two guys. Yeah, for sure. And then who do you think is the big negative surprise? Because it sounds like Phil Kessel, if he does what he did this year, that's not even a surprise anymore. Exactly, yeah, so it's like, what is a surprise, right? I mean, um, I don't know. I think I personally don't expect Phil to do a whole lot more than he did this year. And, mo- and that's just mostly because it hasn't really given me much of a reason to think that he will bounce back. I mean, at, at his age, um, you know, is he going to improve at age, you know, 32 upon age 31? I mean, you just don't see a whole lot of guys do that, right? Mm-hmm. But you do see uh, some guys, you know, in Phil's defense, you do see some guys bounce back in their second year with a new club um, if they had a, a tough first year. So in that respect, you know, maybe Phil will bounce back a little bit, but is he going to be an 80-point guy? I don't think so. I think maybe 
maybe, you know, he could be a 60, 65 point guy. Um, maybe he could get close to 70. I think that's re- that's optimistic, but reasonable for him. Um, negative surprise. You could just say that everyone's going to, I mean, everyone already was a negative surprise this season, right? So exactly. Cause it's tough. It's tough to say because so many guys underperformed. So yeah, it's like, yeah. do you really expect them to underperform even more? Yeah, I don't. I really don't. I mean, I, especially because they're so young and then a lot of those players who underperformed are so young, like Clayton Keller, um, you know, and, and Nick Schmaltz and right. These guys like they're, they're better than their point totals, but they're young. So you, you expect them to improve upon those. So I would probably, um, you know, I think, I think owners will probably still overvalue Phil Kessel a little bit, maybe not as much as this year, but I think they might still overvalue Phil a little bit. Um, but I think for the most part, if you're looking at, you know, some of those relatively big names on the Coyotes like Clayton Keller and Oliver Ekman Larson and Nick Schmaltz and saying, Hey, are they going to be better than last year? I would, I would say all three are going to be better than, than last year. How much, I don't know, it might be just a marked improvement, but I think all, all three will be a little bit better than they were this year. Lots of room for optimism next year in Arizona, which is great. I feel like that's where we were going into this year and it all played out for half a year. Let's, let's hope they can bring it on through the, the, the whole way without getting both their goalies uh, put on the shelf due to injury. Uh, Richard, it's been so great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us and answering all our Coyotes questions. It's not always easy to get great Coyotes info, but you are one of our relied upon and trusted sources. So thank you so much for being that. Where can people find you online on the internet? How can they follow you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks. I mean, first of all, thanks guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, anytime you guys, uh, anytime you guys want to talk to I'm, I'm, I'm more than, more than open to do it. Um, if, if people want to follow me, I'm on Twitter at RA Morin underscore AZC. Um, uh, last name M is in man, O R I N is in Nancy at, uh, AZC. It's short for AZ central. Um, and of course I'm, I'm online, uh, sports.azcentral.com. I cover the Arizona coyotes for AZ central sports, which is the online presence for the Arizona Republic, which is the state newspaper, um, of Arizona. I've been, I've been in Arizona. It's gonna be my fourth summer in Arizona. So, um, you know, kind of feeling like home now. So it's, uh, it's been good. It's been, it's been a blast to cover the coyotes. I also cover the Arizona diamondbacks. Um, as well. So any uh, baseball fans out there that, you know, might be interested in the Diamondbacks. I also, um, you know, cover Major League Baseball and the Diamondbacks as well. Can I ask a really stupid question that I've always wondered, but I've just never like Googled it. And I'm sure it's like yeah. really easy to figure out. Why are they called the Arizona Coyotes if Arizona is a state? Why don't they reference the city? Well, so yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, you probably, I mean, they used to be the Phoenix Coyotes when they first moved from, from Winnipeg in uh, 1996. They were the Phoenix Coyotes. Um, they played at America West Arena right in downtown Phoenix. Um, in 2003, uh, 2003, 2004, uh, the team kind of had some ownership, uh, turnover. They had some, some arena issues. They ended up moving to, to Glendale, Arizona, which is about, uh, 40, you know, 30, 45 minutes West, depending, depends on traffic, but it's, it's like a Western suburb of Phoenix. It's kind of where the Arizona Cardinals play and the NFL team. So, um, they ended up moving out to, to Glendale and built an arena there. Um, they still maintain the Phoenix Coyotes moniker until I think about 2014. They ended up changing the Arizona Coyotes because they wanted to be a little bit more just inclusive of all of Arizona. Um, it wasn't necessarily because they didn't play in Phoenix and they were playing in Glendale, but it was more because, you know, the Arizona Diamondbacks were already the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Arizona Cardinals were already the Arizona Cardinals, right? So I think they, the Coyotes wanted to open themselves up to the rest of Arizona, not just Phoenix. 
Um, and it probably had a little bit to do with the fact they didn't actually play in Phoenix anymore either. Um, and they just decided to, to make the change. Yeah, I guess it makes sense. I guess also uh, like it's the same in Florida, right? Like they call themselves. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, I probably can't speak to like why the Arizona Cardinals did it or why the Arizona Diamondbacks did it, but I think they probably just wanted to be a little bit more, um, you know, inclusive. I think like Phoenix, Phoenix itself is kind of a, like, it, it's obviously a, you know, a major city, but it's kind of a smaller major city. What makes, you know, Phoenix that major TV market is the surrounding areas. It's the suburbs, right? So it's, you have Phoenix, but you also have Scottsdale and Chandler and Tempe where Arizona state is. And, you know, you have Glendale out West and, you know, so you have all these different kind of areas. It's, you know, the Valley of the sun is what it's known as out here. We call it the Valley. So like the Valley is really um, kind of that big hub. And then of course, you know, there's Tucson and there's Flagstaff. So there's not like, you know, those kind of major big cities in Arizona, but you know, the Phoenix area is more than just Phoenix. It's the Valley. It's all those different surrounding towns. So I think teams, teams might've felt, you know, teams like the Diamondbacks and Cardinals moving here might've felt like they were being maybe a little too closed off. They wanted to be, they wanted it to feel like Scottsdale's team as much as it was Phoenix team, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I like, I love that you, like you just said, like you've been in Arizona for four summers now and you know, all this Arizonian history, like you're, my job, man. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're great at your job. I, you should get a, uh, we also, I was also flipping through your Wait, Twitter. Let me send you my boss's email real quick. Let me get that <laughs> <Yeah>. for you. <laughs> uh, I was flipping through your Twitter, which I encourage everyone to do. R.A. Morin underscore AZC. And I saw you did this logo thing. I was wondering if you had <laughs> like, uh, like your logo bracket for the best, logo in Arizona sports history. And a, a couple things struck me. The first were the finalists, were the Kachina, the Phoenix Kachina, and uh, the Arizona Sun Devils guy with the pitchfork, who have like the same profile. They're just mirrored. Like they're both sort of like their legs are uh, shoulder width apart, and they're both holding a stick or like something in their hands looking in the same direction. I thought that was interesting. I also love the Phoenix Sun. Like I'm happy to see the late 90s, the mid to late 90s Phoenix Suns logo with the purple and orange uh, basketball. And But what really grabbed me here uh, was there's a, a logo, the Fighting Artichokes. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you, as an Arizona knower of everything, is there, what's the story? Is there a story there? I actually don't know the story behind why it's the Fighting Artichokes. That's a, I should probably find that out, but it's Scottsdale Community College. So it's a community college team. Um, I knew, I like, I knew that the artichokes were a thing. So when I start, I mean, I appreciate you kind of giving me a little bit of a platform to talk about it. Cause it's really fun. I'm, I'm a huge like logo and Jersey yeah. nerd. Like I'm a huge nerd when it comes to that stuff. So hold on one sec guys. My smoke alarm's going off. Let me just turn it off real quick. <laughs> okay. My, my, my girlfriend's cooking. Uh, okay. I'm just What's cooking some artichokes. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much again for coming on the show. Uh, I'm sure everyone really enjoyed it. And yeah, have a great rest of your day. Enjoy your, whatever your girlfriend was cooking that caused the fire alarm to go off. All right. Bye. All right, see you guys later. Thanks a lot, Richard. That was great. It was so good to have you. Yeah, thanks guys. Anytime. All right, what a fun interview. Thank you so much again to Richard Morin. We're back here in the post-interview section of the show where we not only thank Richard Morin, at R-A-Morin underscore A-Z-C. Don't worry, we're going to link to that in the show notes so you don't have to try to rush to uh, write that down. 
but also, thank you so much to you, the listeners, for still listening and following the show, even during this pause. We hope you're enjoying what we're doing. If, if We'd love to hear your feedback, by the way. Uh, we're only four interviews in, so if you have any thoughts, whether it's to keep going or any little tweaks you'd like us to make, let us know, at Keeping Carlson on Twitter. We would love to hear from you. Of course, also one thing we don't mention too much, but uh, if you could be so kind as to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that wouldn't hurt. But with all of that, Brian, uh, why don't we cue the outro music? And you could go ahead and read the credits. Oh, what a kind invitation from you. Uh, okay, this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons. Thank you all so, 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 so much. Logo art by Brandon Weeb, outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Hockey Reference, Hockey Database, and Natural Stat Trick. Great job, as always. Brian... And I'm looking forward to doing this all again, I guess, in a few days for after people listen to this. We're going to be talking about the San Jose Sharks, and I think we're still working on booking the other one for next weekend. So we'll figure that all out. But until then, uh, Brian, what, what, just do your thing. Say your catchphrase. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson and safe. Yes. Sounds a bit weird when you word it like that, but I think we get the point. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>